you are able, please stand with me for the reading of the scripture. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his work. Praise the Lord, all his work everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning to everyone. You don't care about me. Sometimes these words can come from a young child's mouth uh, to a parent out in the evening, sometimes at bedtime after the tragedy of getting a cup of water for bedtime, but it doesn't have ice. And, and part of the challenge of that is that by that point of the day, the parent is often too exhausted to refute this because the parent has quite literally been caring for the child all day. Children can be forgetful. Their memories get distorted. They need to be reminded. They need to be reminded of things that they don't remember, of sacrifices made on their behalf, of sleepless nights, of early morning feedings, of untold number of diapers, of long days at the job to support them. They need, to reminded, they need to be reminded because maybe at the moment they don't feel that, but the love is there. And sometimes a parent will struggle to kind of take something abstract like love and try to embody it like, we, I love you this much, and will stretch out the arms. And a child needs to be reminded of what lies ahead, that this love is secure, it is unconditional, it will not end. They need to be reminded of reality. 
to be placed in a story powerful enough to dislodge the fears and insecurities and false narratives that may be work at work in their heart. We're in a sermon series on the Psalms, and we're looking at how Psalms give us language to speak to God, to pray to God. Language we have Psalms that give us language to praise God, to confess our sins to God, to express our trust in God. And Psalm 103 is a psalm of thanksgiving and praise, but interestingly, it opens with the psalmist talking not to God. He is talking to God, but he's talking to himself. We put up that first slide wrong. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, forget not his benefits. So the psalmist is talking to my soul. Right? He's talking to himself. He's saying, don't forget soul. Don't forget all the benefits that you receive from the Lord in the present. He forgives my sins. He heals my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. He crowns me with love and compassion. Don't forget that soul. Don't forget that inmost being. He then turns to remind himself of things he can't actually remember. The words kind of allude back to the exodus, back to the deeds that, that God has done for the Israelites when he set them free, when God revealed God's self to Moses on Mount Sinai. He has to remind himself stuff he actually doesn't remember that he's received. And then he reminds himself of the character of God. Who is God? He's abounding in love. We have, again, we've bumped into this word several times now in the Psalms, hesed, this rich, covenantal, steadfast love. This beautiful description that's kind of put into terms of that we might be able to understand as broad as the heavens are from the sky. Just like a parent tries to reach out, the psalmist is trying to give us a, just a picture of how vast the love of God is. God is not just a God of love. God is a God of compassion. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. One way, one, one of my uh, Bibles put uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the notes that one way you could read this verse would be like this. As a father shows motherly compassion for his children. I think that's a great translation. Because it's pulling on that word compassion, which at its root in Hebrew is womb. So it's trying to capture that womb-like love of a mother for her child. So we have this beautiful description of God who kind of combines all of the best, the steadfastness, the, the, the solid love of a father, and then this tender, loving, motherly womb-like love. Now, is the psalmist doing this because the psalmist has forgotten? It's like, Yahweh, Yahweh. Like, I know that name from somewhere. Like, I just can't put my finger on it. I don't think that's what's it. I think what's happening is that the information is there, but the psalmist wants to drive it into his heart. He wants to drive it into his inmost being. He is, in a sense, preaching to himself. Think about what preaching is. At its best, it's not always at its best, but preaching at its best is not just a transfer of information. I'm not up here just to give you a download. You can, we could do this all kinds of different ways. I'm not just trying to transfer information from you. Preaching is trying at its best to move the reality of who God is, of what God has done for us, of what God continues to do for us now, from our heads into our hearts, to drive it into our hearts. Because oftentimes we know the truth intellectually, but we don't know the truth in our inmost being. We're often controlled by false narratives. Why are we 
having foot washing today. Why are we gathering around the table? In the, in the front of the table, it's covered. It says, do this in remembrance of me. Is it because Jesus was like, these people, one day they're going to totally forget. Like, we had, oh, yeah, Jesus died for us. I forgot. <laughs> and Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Well, how about that? I'd forgotten about that too. Anybody, had, anybody here forgotten that Jesus died on the cross? I doubt that. I doubt you forgot that he washed his disciples' feet. But oftentimes that reality sits here and not here. It's in our intellect and it's not in our inmost being, meaning it's not really controlling our life. We, we ascend to it mentally, but it's not driving us. And so we have to drive it down into our hearts. We have to remind ourselves of a story about God Almighty, everlasting to everlasting, creator of heaven and earth, in the person of Jesus stoops down and washes feet. Let that settle into your hearts. Just sit with that for a second. Creator of all in the person of Jesus stoops and does menial work of washing feet. Our hearts may tell us false narratives like you are not loved. And we need a better story. We need a truer story. We need a truer story of love displayed on a cross, love so steadfast, so unwavering, so compassionate, so womb-like, so vast as the heavens and the earth, that that love would die for you and for me. That preaches. That, that shouldn't just preach to our heads. That should preach to our hearts. That should drive into us the reality of God's love for us. And the psalmist is apparently a good preacher because if you look at the end of the psalm, he has moved into this kind of frenzied, ecstatic song of praise. Remember, the psalm begins with him. He's by himself. He's solitary. He seems to be preaching to himself. But if you look in, let's put up the next slide. Who has now been drawn into the psalm? Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Angels are getting pulled into this arena of praise. Praise the Lord, all the heavenly hosts, all his heavenly hosts, you, his servants, who do his will. Now the heavenly hosts are in to the hymn of praise. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. All of creation now has been drawn into this ecstatic hymn of praise to the creator. Right? It might have began with a solitary psalmist in his soul, but by the end we are in a frenzy of praise. You can put up the next slide. On June 17, 2003, in Acrisure Stadium in Pittsburgh, 73,117 people came to watch Taylor Swift perform. Largest attendance ever for that venue. And that doesn't include the thousands of fans who could not get into the stadium who are sitting outside there by the river just so they can hear Taylor Swift sing. Let's go to the next picture. I want to apologize to John Hostetler for this picture here. <laughs> Penn State whiteout, yearly tradition. Iowa got Penn State yesterday. 100,000 people coming together. I mean, look at that scene. That is unbelievable. That gives me chills just seeing that scene. And I'm not a Penn State fan, just to be clear. 100,000 people coming, and this is what happened yesterday. 
why do people pay extraordinarily large amounts of money to go listen to Taylor Swift with 70 other people, 70,000 other people? You can get a better sound in your earbuds of that music. Why do people pay such big money to go to that game when you can actually get a better view of the action back home on your couch, on your TV? Because for many, whether it's a Taylor Swift concert, a Penn State game, Ohio State game, to come in sync with 70,000 people in musical song or 100,000 people in fight song is something like a spiritual experience. It gives a person goosebumps. It gives a person chills. It is intoxicating. It's one thing to experience a last-second touchdown that beats Notre Dame by yourself in your basement. It's another thing, I know it wasn't in Ohio, to experience that with 100,000 other people, right? That's a totally different experience. The psalm may begin with a single person, but by the end, all of creation is joined in this hymn of praise. Angels, heavenly hosts, all of God's creation. Heaven and earth have mysteriously come together in this praise of the Lord. And here's what I want to say, and it may not be a tough case to you. Whatever you experience a person gets at a Taylor Swift concert, whatever kind of goosebumps you might get watching Ohio State run out on the field, it is a shadow. It's not even a shadow of the scene that the psalmist is describing. Do you realize what scene the psalmist is describing? We can only get little bitty views like by going to big concerts or big football games. It is a shadow when all of creation will join in in an ecstatic hymnic praise of the Lord. In our communion liturgy today, we, we will be singing the Sanctus. We don't always do this, but we're singing the Sanctus. The Sanctus is this hymn of praise that we sing, and right before we sing the Sanctus, we say this, we will join our voices in with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven to proclaim the glory of of, the God, of God. You can put up the Sanctus now. We'll sing this soon. Holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It combines the words from the prophet Isaiah, and actually our, in our song we see these pop up in Revelation too. Uh, it's this vision that Isaiah is having, and he sees these seraphim, these, these winged creatures, and they're covering their head and their feet with their, uh, with their wings, and they're calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah is terrified. This is a dangerous space to be in. To be in presence of God Almighty like that as a sinful person is dangerous territory. But the seraphim comes up in this awesome scene, touches his lips, and says, Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. That's the first set of words. And then it combines it with these words that we hear uh, sung to, uh, spoken to Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. Hosanna, Hosanna. So I love, what I love about the Sanctus is it pulls together two realities. The total otherness of God. God is so powerful and so transcendent. If you really knew whose presence you'd get into, you would feel like you were in dangerous territory. And the Sanctus pulls together God incarnate comes to us on a cult, washes his disciples' feet. Two seeming, it seems like a paradox, but it holds together. It's a hymn of praise in which we join with our voices, with angels and archangels, with all the company of heaven to proclaim 
the glory of God. It may not feel like much is happening here at communion. Maybe we don't have the pageantry of college football. Maybe we don't sing as good as Taylor Swift. I don't know. But something's happening. Something's happening, a meeting of heaven and earth. And again, it may not feel that way, but something's happening. An encounter with the risen Lord through the bread and the juice, that's happening. A foretaste of a banquet that is to come, that's happening. And here it is at the table, washing feet. We remember what we can't actually remember, but we remember what we have received. What the Apostle Paul says is the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. We remember what we can't remember, but we also remember what we know to be true now, that this God loves us, that this God forgives us, that this God heals us, that this God redeems us, that this God's love is so vast the psalmist can't possibly give us a metaphor that will capture it. And we remind ourselves of what is to come, Christ's return, when heaven and earth will one day be fully united. We just get a little taste here. But one day heaven and earth, God's space and our space, will be fully united, and we will join with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven to proclaim the glory of God.